Welcome to Real Marketers, where we hear from marketers who move fast, ask forgiveness, not permission, obsess about driving results, and are filled to the brim with crazy ideas and the guts to implement them. This is not a fireside chat, and there's absolutely no bullshit allowed here. And I'm your host, Stephanie Cox. I have more than 15 years of marketing experience, and I've pretty much done about everything in my career. I believe speed is better than perfection. I use the Oxford comma. I love Coca-Cola, have exceptionally high standards, and surround myself with people who get shit done. On this show, my guests and I will push boundaries and share the real truths about marketing and empower you to become a real marketer. I am so fired up about having you on the show, and I think this is going to be a really fun and interesting conversation. But before we get started, I want to find out from you, what's one thing that few people know about you? I have seven siblings from three different sets of parents. That's a lot of siblings. And that is, are they close in age? I mean, tell me more about this. So my mom and dad, as soon as they had me, pretty much they split up, right? So I'm the only child from those two. Uh, my mom and dad remarried both, and both of them had two kids each. So that's four total, right? But then I grew up with three, I would say, stepbrothers who were older than me and who were my stepdad's kids. So not related by blood, but you know, grew up together. And so if you make the, the sum of those three sets, uh, you get seven. Wow, that's that's a lot. And did you like having that many siblings and kind of like that big extended family no, that influenced been, who you are today? It's been very weird, to be honest, um, because I I don't know for 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 kids who experience divorce and stuff, it's um, it kind of it felt like I had split personality disorder in a sense where I was living with my dad a few times a week, behave a certain way. Uh, had specific set of expectations and then going to my mom's and expectations were different and I would almost behave differently. So, you know, in retrospect now, like I'm what, I'm 30, I'm 32 or 33. I don't remember. And um, uh, I'm super glad I have them all. I'm, I'm very, very close to all of them. Uh, but I'm, when I was a teenager, I was struggling a bit, you know? No, I had divorced parents as well. And same situation where rules at mom's house were different than rules at dad's house. And sometimes dad's house felt like a vacation all the time. I know, <laughs> but that's what exactly. you can do when you're just right when you're just there like a couple weekends a month or whatever. So yep. Yep, it's yep. kind of like you're, when you go to your grandparents, right? And it feels like, oh, I can have there are different rules. Grandma lets me do all these cool things. Well, that's because grandma doesn't deal with you 24 <laughs> seven. Exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah, but it was beyond just the rules. I think there was a lot of depth into the past that I could feel like was going on behind the scenes and different expectations, not just the rules, but different expectations of me altogether. But just, just, I mean, I can't complain. I don't, and I come from a kind of a middle class background. I, I, I never struggled from, from that side of things, but emotionally it was, it was kind of weird, I have to say. No, I totally understand that. So let's talk a little bit about your favorite topic and mine, marketing. <laughs> yes. And, and why I'm so fucked what, up. That, that the two right? are connected. And, 
they are, they are right. And marketing is kind of screwed up as well. So maybe we start there. Talk to me a little bit about what you think the biggest problem in marketing is today. Uh, I would say it's obscurity, meaning that if you're a marketer and entrepreneur or founder, the biggest problem you're facing today is whether or not people are going to notice you and therefore some of them will trust you enough to buy from you, remember you. And the reason why it's such a struggle is because we are fed with marketing bullshit advice 24-7. And we feel like marketing is this kind of permanent reinvention of the wheel where new terms come in and new buzzwords and new ideas. And it seems like you have this massive FOMO because you need to try this new channel. And what about this? And what about that? And it seems like this discipline that is like, constantly trying to reinvent something that shouldn't be reinvented. Uh, Recently in the tech world, in SaaS in particular, marketing has been renamed growth, growth marketing, growth. Um, We even need to say that we are doing product marketing nowadays because we are so, we were so far away from actually influencing the product we are selling as marketers that we had to reinvent a new discipline to come back to the basis foundations of, of real marketing, which is influencing the product that we are selling to make it a great fucking product, find a specific group of people who would actually love this product, find channels to promote this product uh, in, and sell this at the right price uh, using the right model, right? The four P's of marketing. And it seems like in the last few years and decades, we've forgotten it to only focus on promotion and communication, which is what Mark Ritson would say is only 8% of our job. and so that's the problem, obscurity that is created by all this bullshit advice that people are fed. What do you think causes that bullshit advice? Like, how have we gotten to this point, right, where it feels like, I mean, just go on LinkedIn, right? It's just people spewing utter nonsense sometimes, and then people latching onto it from a marketing perspective, like it's really the Bible, right? And it's the way you should be doing things. So what got it, us here? It's a, it's, a, it's a complex question. Uh, I think there's a lot of different sources and reasons for it. Uh, one of the biggest ones is because anyone with a brain and a laptop and an internet connection can claim to be a marketer, a marketing expert, a marketing consultant, a founder, an entrepreneur, right? So anyone has a voice now, which is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because you don't need to buy TV ads to be seen and heard. Uh, it's a curse because anyone can say anything. So there is that. The second is this aversion for science and facts and evidence. Um, This feeling that everything is changing all the time, that humans, for some reason, because they're born after 1990 or 2000 or whatever the fuck, millennials uh, and Gen X and Gen Z and whatever you want to call them are, are born, all of a sudden our brain has fundamentally changed in a cellular level. So that every single thing that you know about marketing needs to change. So there's this kind of aversion to trust the science behind marketing. And there is a lot of it and fundamentals in favor of quick tactics. And honestly, overall, I think the reason behind all of it is the sheer pressure that marketers and folks who are leaning on marketing to generate more sales and grow are under because of today's reality, the fact that it's getting more and more expensive to live in most countries. And um, the power to like buy stuff has been reduced. 
things are a bit more expensive. And so there's so much noise that it's getting to a point where pressure is, is there and we must fight, fight back. And a lot of people have to resort to those bullshit tactics because they don't know any better. And so to be clear, I don't blame any of them. If you're listening to this and you have to use shady tactics to make ends meet, I don't blame you. Um, I blame the system behind it that, that is forcing a lot of us to resort to all of this. Well, and it's hilarious. I mean, you're completely dead on, right? Like people expect these instant gratification, instant results. And then they see this bullshit, right? On the internet where it's like, oh, this company was so successful with insert blank tactic. What they don't hear and what they don't see is the 40 things they tried before that that didn't work. Correct. That caused them to get to the one thing, right? Everyone talks about success, but not about failure. And then you create this perpetual ongoing situation where people think marketing is easy and that you could, if you just did these things that were talked about on the internet, you would be, you know, rolling in sales. So, so the, sorry to cut you, the, but the, the important thing here that you mentioned, which is critical, is that we only see the very, very tip of the iceberg. And I would argue that beyond what you said, above that, you don't see what good companies do when it comes to diagnosing the context they are in. Uh, to use fundamentals of marketing, it's market orientation, market research, right? Which is the very, very first step of any decent marketing strategy is to understand the lay of the land, what's going on around us, why uh, are marketers buying from us, uh, customers buying from us, um, what do they like about us, uh, where do they hang out, et cetera, et cetera. And so you don't get to understand what companies do behind closed doors, and the good ones do that all the time. Diagnosis, understanding what's happening, strategy, deciding what to do and what not to do, and tactics, executing the fuck out of that plan. And you only get to see the communication part of that plan you, as marketers, we tend to forget that we have power above, uh, over the product we sell. And if you don't, you must ask for it. And I can show a few tips on that. But that's exactly what you described. Only the very, very, very tip of the iceberg. So you offered to share tips. You know I'm going to ask about them. Just drop yeah. some knowledge and some tips here on what, you're, what you've seen work. So uh, the, best way, the best way to have a higher impact as a marketer is to do to focus on the market. That's what marketing is all about. So if you want to be heard, if you want to sit at the leadership table from the marketing perspective, spend time with recent customers, interview them, talk to them, understand the journey that they took all the way from buying from you. What is the very first time, tell, talk me through the very first time you ever potentially you know, thought about buying a solution like ours. What other solutions did you compare us to? Uh, why did you pick us above the other? Uh, what channel um, do you tend to spend time on? Who influenced your buying decision? Who did you ask? Um, is there anything that almost stop you from buying from us? Like those questions are critical. You need to ask them over calls and surveys. You need to observe what's going on. Uh, you need to talk to customer facing staff inside your organization, as well as the founders, because they are, there is a reason why they created that company. And only that is more than what, I don't want to come up with shitty stats, but probably 99% of marketers out there. You'll get so much understanding of your market that you'll start having a very clear idea of what to do next. And once you know what to do next, you can start influencing the four P's of marketing, product, price, promotion, and place. And once you do that, you can get a bit more clarity 
um, on what to do. And obviously, you need to execute and test stuff and hypothesize and and and, and fail and learn. But with that work, you are going to have guide rails that are going to prevent you from feeling major FOMO on every single uh, every single second of every day. To instead focus on what matters, what you must focus on, uh, focus your attention. But why are so few marketers doing that work? Like, I mean, I feel like today, right? Like, and if they do the work, it's like they don't want to listen to it either. Yeah, we're we're afraid. It it's it's. I used to think it was coming from a place of feeling above the people, but I think it's it's deeper than that. It's the fear, fear of uh, being um, rejected first of all by customers who say I don't want to talk to you. Fear of hearing things that you hadn't heard before. So feeling like an imposter, feeling like you don't know anything. The fear that you will hear bullshit. You know, a a few people will say that you shouldn't do market research because people tell you what they want to hear, which is bullshit. If you ask the right question, they are never going to tell you uh, uh, what you need to hear. You never ask questions about the future, always ask questions about the past, uh, identify the experience. And obviously, you need to do some of the work on top of it because customers will won't tell you everything you need a bit of gut feeling a bit of taste a bit of experience on top of that but above, above all it's the fear uh, and you know uh, people who listen to my to my podcast everyone hates marketers i talk about customer interviews and market research and market orientation all the time and i have a program that teaches radical differentiation which is the best way to fight uh, marketing bullshit and all of the people who, who who are part of this program know that interviewing customers is the basis. Yet, can you guess what's the percentage of people who took part in my program who've ever done it? Less than 10%. Zero percent. Zero percent. Okay. None of the 20 people. I was being people, optimistic. <laughs> exactly. None of the 20 people who took part in my uh, first and second cohort had uh, spent time actually interviewing customers. So it's a very emotional issue. Um, and... If your boss is preventing you, for example, from talking to customers, then you need to fight to talk to them. You must. Or find a new boss. Yes, which is not as easy for some, right? So I'm always cautious to say that. Uh, Some people might be in in more difficult situations than others. But overall, you need to first fight for the ability to talk to customers, talk to customer-facing staff, send surveys, observe people in, in a real environment, uh, once COVID is, is is over, if you're selling oranges, so go to the supermarket and look at the way people buy oranges. I can guarantee that they don't compare 10 fucking brands. They pick the one they know. And, you know, there's a lot you can you can make with that. Um, read everything you can on actual marketing science, uh, how brands grow by Baron Sharp is a good start. Anything by Mark Ritson is another it's not that's not a book that's the guy Mark Ritson. Uh, there is a few books like that that teaches you the fundamentals of marketing, and once you're able to really lean on them, this is how you get above the bullshit. So, what do you do in this situation? And I think we've all been here at some point in our career where you want to do those customer interviews, or maybe you have even, and you have this actual data points feedback from customers, prospects, however you want to look at it. But then you have senior leaders who heard something, saw something on the internet that come in and want to make decisions without using any of that information because it worked for someone else, supposedly. Like, how do you combat that situation? So 
the the best way that I found throughout my career is as follow: use the data you've gathered to tell the story of your customers. And I hate the, the word story and storytelling because it's overused. But the point being, do not try to convince your leadership, your boss, to listen to you and implement your stuff when you by sharing a spreadsheet full of numbers. They will not give a shit. What you need to share are two things. One is the actual story of the customers that you've learned through, like the core pieces of feedback they've said, quotes, verbatim quotes, or videos of people talking to you, like summaries of people actually saying things that say, I don't understand anything you say on your website. What the fuck is that message? What, you know, I don't understand the headline. I don't understand whatever, whatever. Like real proof. Uh, if you can... Um, bring actual customers inside the building, make them talk to founders, like be the voice of the customer, literally, right? And don't use data. The second thing is ask for forgiveness and not permission. And that's tricky. Sometimes you feel it's risky. But it's so important. Right. And I know you like that, right? Marketers need to do that. I do. I love it because it's my number one pet peeve with marketers today. They feel like everything needs to be ruled by committee. And I'm just like, no good marketing comes out of committees. None. Exactly. Uh, you don't want to make the curry less spicy. You don't want to fucking... When everyone brings a color, it turns out gray, right? You need some fucking gut to say, this is what we're going to do. Let's make the curry as spicy as we can. It's not for everyone. It's for that specific group of people. And I know it because I've done my research. Let's test that thing. And if you, whoever your name is, prefer that version then let's a b test it and see who wins but you need to put some sort of thought into why did i pay attention to ads in the past and why did i buy this product chances are they fought obscurity they didn't just you know decide by committee someone took the decision to say you know what let's go for it 100 i give this example all the time of i don't know if you've seen it there's a recent ad by burger king with a moldy burger have you seen it I love all things Burger King. I'm like obsessed with their marketing. So their product, you can argue, is kind of shitty, right? I mean, it's fast food. It's Oh, it's I have sh- not eaten there in 10 years. Right, I don't eat neither. their food, but I love their marketing. <laughs> so the, the communication part of it, at least, uh, is brilliant because the guy behind it, I'm going to forget his name, but he's a very accomplished marketer who understands that concept of creativity and why you can't just make average things. You need to fucking go all the way in one aspect. And so the campaign of the Moldy Burger is a brilliant one. And I can guarantee that... When you look at this ad, it's a, just a picture of a moldy burger, and it basically shows that their burger is not made of uh, like shitty preservatives like uh, like McDonald's would be, right? That's the core message behind it. How many of you, like listening to this episode, how many would have said, mm, I'm not sure, I don't think we should run it, it's too risky, right? The, the majority probably. And that's the oh, lesson. So- well, and that's the thing is they'd all, what they would do is like, that's what, what they would pitch, right? If you're in a role by committee and then everyone would say, oh, we can't do that. That's too, that's too risky. What are people going to think? And then it gets watered down to some blah, generic version that you could see from any other brand. Exactly. And so that's the conundrum that you have as a marketer. On one hand, you know that you need to generate results. And you know that you really need to generate results so the pressure is on. On the other, the best way to generate results is to take some fucking risk or thinking at least that you're taking some fucking risk because actually taking risk is the safe option in today's world. How many 
companies are in your space. Every time I talk to marketers, entrepreneurs, they all say the same thing. We are in a saturated market. Spoiler alert, everyone is in a fucking saturated market. Every, even the so-called new categories being created are in a saturated market. People don't consider many options and they don't consider your direct competitor likely. They consider Excel or an intern or doing nothing. So choices are everywhere. If you don't take a stance somewhere in some places, if you don't, don't take a risk, if, if it's not spicy, you know, if you take off the edges, you're going to face obscurity and you're going to go to square one, which is pressure is on. We need to do something. Let's, let's do another average thing. Let's be under more pressure and you can keep going this way until, until you get fired. So how do you help marketers realize that taking a risk, right? And doing something and being different, not just different for the sake of it, but being radically different as you've talked about is actually the smart move, especially when they're put under so much stress to drive results that doing the status quo and being like everyone else is not going to get them the results that they actually need in order to be successful. How do you convince them that this is their job? Well, intuitively, they understand. Like when you, when I talk about it like that, it's very easy for people to understand. They get it. Like they don't, you don't need a science degree to understand that everyone is with a brain and a laptop and an internet connection can compete with you tomorrow and create content and whatnot. So intuitively, they know it. Scientifically, I can prove to you that, for example, uh, of the 275 companies over 11 years that the Harvard Business Review analyzed, the one that were more different uh, generated 4.8% more revenue per year. And the one that were much more like bland and average uh, generated a minus, uh, so declined by 4.3%. I can go on and on about stats like that, but intuitively, like you're not stupid if you listen to this episode right now. You're not stupid, you get it. Like people get that, right? So it's not about how do you convince them. It's more about showing them now how to do it because books and experts on positioning and branding fall short when it comes to the actual how do you actually do it they make your creative circuits firing but when it comes to actual practical stuff it's very difficult to find any because it's mostly for massive brand with massive ad budget so if you want i can share with you a few steps to take um to actually create something that will radically stand out yes please do so the first thing is your mindset, and we talked about that a lot. So challenging your mindset, understanding why what you're afraid of, thinking about that. And I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it's so true. Like you need to understand that taking risk is the safest option out there. Life is short, right? What's the alternative? Not taking any risk and having yet another campaign that flops? Like, let's fucking go for it. So now we're in a better place. The second step is to obsess over your market. Like going beyond demographics, understanding, talking to people like I mentioned before, asking the right question to understand, are there any differences in the market that I could take advantage of? Is there a small group of people out there that we can own and defend that is still big enough for us to make money, but small enough for us to quote-unquote dominate, even though I hate those fucking terms, but you get it, uh, that you can take advantage of, that you can really double down on, right? That's something that we all forget to do because we want to do, we want to make sure that we build this billion dollar company, forgetting that the best way to get there is to start small. Start small, dominate that market, move on to a smaller one, a bigger one, 
and bigger one, and then a bigger one, and then a bigger one. If you study any successful brands out there that have quote unquote made it, they've all started the same way. They started small. That's how you fucking do it. So that's about committing to a one portion of the market that you have access to, that has money to pay you, that you enjoy working with, that connects with your proposition. That's the single biggest mistake I see because you can't go and radically stand out when you think your market is everyone. But I want my market to be everyone because I want to have this total addressable market that's ginormous. Yeah. I mean, that's what I hear, right? Like people are like, well, everyone can use my product. No, they can't. Pick one. Exactly. You well, can't market to everyone. And it's okay if some people don't like you. Exactly. And 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 that's that's the conundrum again, which is a very emotional thing. You will be able to have a huge fucking total addressable market in the future once you do your homework and start step by step. People are afraid that a small market won't make, in, uh, won't make them enough money. They just need to calculate their market size to understand that it's false. If you sell a good fucking product at the right price to, the, to people who can't wait to solve their pain using it, you can make a whole lot of money. I mean, look at the product and services you, you've bought recently. And I'm, by the way, just a caveat. I'm not talking about companies that are number one in their market. That's something that I hear a lot, which is, oh, but Tesco, like in the UK, or fucking whatever big fucking company you can think of, Google, they target everyone. First of all, they don't. Uh, like Apple uh, sell to 1% of the world population at, at maximum for every product launch. 1%, so it's not everyone. Um, they are playing in a different field where their market share is and their size is responsible for their growth. The more, the bigger they are, the higher the market share, the more people are going to be slightly more loyal to them and the less and the more light buyers will be attracted to them, right? So the bigger they are, the more famous they will be. That's not your position, uh, very uh, unlikely. Uh, and so if you want to grow market share, you need to use what... Uh, Christopher Lockhead, not Christopher Lockhead, the guy who wrote, uh, Geoffrey Moore, who wrote um, Crossing the Chasm talks about, which is exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, pick the smallest minimum viable market you can find that can guarantee a lot of money. And then once you dominate that niche, move on, move up. Don't try to bowl the ocean. If you bowl the ocean, you're fucked because you open up competitors that are way more money with much better product, way more uh, ad power, buying power, reputation. And so you've lost already. So be realistic. Don't try to boil the ocean. You will be a millionaire if you keep pushing, but you need to also use like scientifically based uh, marketing method to grow. You can't just boil the ocean. No, I completely agree. And I think your point is so right, right? It doesn't mean that your market can't get bigger later, but you can't go after everyone in the beginning. That's not what... That's not what a lot of big brands do today. And it's also not what they did when they were smaller either. But no one, so it's, no one targets everyone, right? It's like, unless no. you invented oxygen, you, you don't, you can't target everyone, right? So this is, this is a mistake people make because they never talk to a customer in their life. And when you talk to any, to many, you'll understand there are patterns that are very deep and they go beyond demographics of firmographics. They go beyond my customer is aged between 30 and 35. Her name is Sally. She's an HR manager and she had three kids. 
I mean, you don't give a shit about that if you're selling a car, for example, right? What matters is the psychographics, the reason why people buy from you. What do they believe that make them buy from you? What were the objections? Um, and all of the stuff that explain why people bought from you. Once you have enough psychographic and understand exactly who they are, you can then apply a layer of demographics on top that says, those people tend to be women. They tend to live in the US, blah, blah. Quick example. I work with a shampoo company that we're selling originally to Latinas. We did this work together to understand, okay, who are we going to focus on? We asked ourselves the question after talking to them and doing our research, are there any differences in the market we can take advantage of? Turns out the customer, the minimum viable market that they want to serve are actually Latinas with long hair, long frizzy hair, living in California and Florida because those are the people who have the highest pain when it comes to their hair and getting them under control. Long hair, more frizz, humid, warm weather that causes their hair to be even messier. Those people are the ones who love the product the most. And there are literally millions of them. So let's start with them. Let's make a killing there. And then, yeah, if you want to boil the ocean later, maybe we can target everyone. Once you have enough brand and market share, you can start doing huge awareness ads to basically try to talk to everyone who has hair on their head. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, how companies can, and marketers can think about standing out. What is the number one problem that marketers run into when they try this, when they try and be radically different? What are the challenges they're going to face? Because I think we've all probably in our career, at least the ones of us that like to push the edge and ask forgiveness, not permission, have done things where, you know, we've launched a campaign, changed the me messaging on the website, been more provocative, more aggressive. And we've had that person, whether it's, you know, another member of the leadership team, someone on the board, have that knee-jerk reaction of like, what are we doing, right? Have we lost our mind? How do you combat that? I know data helps, but how do you get people willing to take a risk in a world that feels like, there are companies who take risks and then there's the rest of, you know, 90% of us, which are the ones who don't, who want to grow fast and they want all these things, but they also aren't willing to alienate anyone or to say who they sell to and not who they don't sell to. Well, you ask them, um, are you happy with the situation right now? Do you want to sell more? Or are you happy with how many sales you have right now? And chances are they'll say we're not happy with it. Well, then we need to change something. And then you ask them, when was the last time, you know, you, what, what's the last ad you remember and, and, uh, what's the last product you bought? And unless, unless they understand that in the very core, the fact that they actually need to take some risk in one way, shape or form, then, then there's no point trying to argue, you know, um, at the end of the day, you either try a few things and try to do stuff uh, behind their back, but if they really don't connect with it, as you mentioned before, then it's time to look for another job if you can, like, honestly, the one most difficult thing of a marketer uh, for customers and in general is to try to change people's minds. You can't change people's minds. The only thing you can do is try to find people who believe in what you believe. It takes years, right, to, to do otherwise. So besides sharing story, doing sort of a wave cop call, call like on Zoom, let's say, with bringing customers in and sharing actual feedback, there is nothing else. Like you can't, you're not, you're not God. You can't change people's mind magically. So. The other, once you have, once you are, have people on board and ready to fucking go for it, and usually it comes from the founder or the CEO, like if you are as a marketer pushing back, pushing back, and it doesn't work, 
it's not you, it's them in a sense. You need to, to move on to a CEO and founders who understand that. But once you have an understanding, the thing to look into is the fact that radical differentiation is not a different message or better ad. It's beyond that. It's much more deep. It touches every aspect of the marketing mix, including the product. So what you need to be willing to do is basically being able to say, we are the only whatever in that category that does that thing or that helps do that thing, which is the value, like uh, the pain that you have them solve, the, the goal that you have them reach for that group of people, right? The intersection of the three is what make you radically different. Not one, not just the value, not just the market, not just the category you're in, the three of them. And so once you're able to nail that aspect to say, okay, we are for those people only, we do that thing so well, we're the only one, and we are in that category, which is the box people put us in. Like, let's say your podcast is a marketing podcast. That's your category. Uh, Salesforce is a CRM software. That's the category. Uh, shampoos for Latina. Shampoo would be the, the category, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what you seek, this intersection, because then you can really double down on it. And frankly, the thing that people are the most scared in that step is removing stuff. What people are afraid of is that they think that to be radically different, you need to add as much as you can on top of what you currently have. But the opposite is actually true. By removing things, you will shed light on the positive and what is there. And people will understand that there isn't that many other stuff, right? It's like, it's it's the way specializ uh, specialization and niching down works. That's, that's the way it is. So you need to compete on brand. By competing on brand, you need to double down on who you seek to serve. Uh, and all of that. So the intersection of the three is the is what matters. And then, if you want, I can share a few steps on how to go, how to arrive at that definition, at that intersection. No, I'd love to hear you, you know, share some steps. But I think one thing I'd like to before we get to that is we've talked a little bit about category categories. And I think one of the things that sometimes marketers think as a way to stand out is I'm going to create a new category. What is your take <laughs> on that? <laughs> Oh, I fucking hate it in so many ways. Um, Join the club. Uh, so I'm going to tell you why. So give me a second. I'm just going to pull out an article that I wrote uh, recently on this exact topic. So um, let me tell you. So yeah, you, you might have read like Brew Ocean Strategy or the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, Differentiate or Die, Play Bigger. And you, you, you've seen like companies like Drift inventing so-called conversational marketing or HubSpot with inbound marketing and, and whatever. And like apparently creating a new category is like this, this way of be becoming the only product in a new category. You're the de facto leader. You lead the charge. You inspire everyone. There's no competition. Like it's a blue ocean. Let's go for it, right? I mean, that's what people think. So it's bullshit in many, uh, in many aspects. First, most category creation are not category creation case studies. They are not category creation. Most of the time, it's a subcategory that has been created. And it's so important to understand the distinction uh, because you are leaning on something that already exists. And that's the matter like with the so-called new category. Inventing a category from scratch means that you're expecting to change the mind and upgrade the mind and educate the mind of millions of people, which takes time, years, and so much resources. But an example in the Blue Ocean strategy book, They've talked about how uh, this uh, 
Air Fry Maker that was developed by the French company Seb created a new category of Air Fry Maker. They used to be Fry Maker, now they've done Air Fry Maker that uses like 80% less fat. And they say that it's a new new category, a blue ocean. It's bullshit. It's it's not a new category. They're leaning on what people already know to be fry makers. And they just added, uh, removed a few things, added a few things to create this influenciation. And then others followed. So that's the first. And the second one is that it requires more time, more influence, more resources than you probably think. It's so easy to look at those f- few who quote unquote managed to do it, even though I would argue that they haven't, most of them, um, because you try to change people's mind. And if you really think you can, in the book Play Bigger, there's a study mentioned that says it takes on average, listen to this, six to 10 fucking years for a category to be effectively created and companies to go public effectively. That's a long time. Exactly. It is enormous. So, and you know, like one of the one of the poster childs of uh, of category creation is drift with conversational marketing, right? I you mean chat. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly, <laughs> and that's what you come up against. You arrive at a place where marketers are taught that creating a new category is just inventing a new, repeating a new word over and over again, so people understand. But it's artificial. And I would say that these kind of those categories that stand the, the, the test of time haven't been created out of selfishness for a, a marketer or founder who want to reinvent the wheel, but came out of the passion of a team of people who worked on a problem for so fucking long that they became the de facto leader and they never claimed to become a new category. They just that happened as a byproduct of their effort. And HubSpot is the perfect example. They didn't set to invent inbound marketing. As a category, they never say that. I even had the ex-VP of marketing on the podcast, and she explained that that wasn't what they tried to do. They only tried to fight against the enemy that was outbound. But they never claim, hey, we are raising 200 million to invent a new category. They never said that. So then why is there like obsession with creating categories right now? Like I feel like that's what every marketer I talk to especially senior marketers in the B2B space, they're like, oh, we're creating a new category. I'm like, but are you, I mean, are you just taking a current category and calling it something different and using it as a way to get PR and to like break through the noise with the same shit? Well, it's, it's to me, it's a, it's, it's that we describe at the start. It's, it's quick hacks that we naturally take as humans. Like if it's, if, if we can, achieve an objective in two steps instead of 25, obviously we choose two steps, but that's not how you arrive there. So the reason why is because there is a massive survivorship bias as well happening where you only remember the ones who succeeded. How many of them or those people who who say we're going to create a new category will succeed in the future? Very, very, very few, like extremely very, very few. Drift, even though I would say I said that they've invented a new category, I would argue that they haven't. Uh, because it's not sticking that much anymore. Uh, the guy behind it, Dave Cancel, had so many starters behind his belt, so much influence, so much knowledge and uh, influence in the in Silicon Valley that they were able to put it off and so much money, like more than 200 million in funding. If you're really, if you really think you can do it, then be my guest. But I will stick to the core foundations of marketing and I will stick to what people, to psychology 101 uh, and the fact that you can't change people's mind. You can only try to find people who believe what you believe already. 
I think that's a really great point. So maybe to end, what else or is there anything else that you would want to share to help marketers start to think differently and try and be radically different in their efforts? Yeah. So the best thing I can tell you to do very practically is that once you have your market, list down everything that is expected of your category. So let's say you want to build a new CRM software. Okay, cool. List down everything that is typically being down, done inside that category. And I don't mean just the message. I mean the product itself in terms of behavior. What do they do? What don't, what don't they do? What channels are they on? What do they tend to say? What do they tend to offer? List everything down, right? So that you have something to lean on. And then apply that length that you have of this market that you seek to, uh, to serve. And try to find that one thing that you can remove or add that would actually make you the only. And that takes a bit of taste and experience, but that's the only way to do it. That's from like Blue Ocean Strategy, uh, a few books like Purple Cow mentioned the same thing. To be different, you need to, to lean against something that exists or else you're just like trying to create something uh, brand new. So say no more than you say yes, remove, 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 so that you have a, such a lean product market fit, right? Such a, a product that solved that pain so well it's pure, it's edgy, you can claim it, you can talk about it, you can find ways to say that no, no, uh, no one else says. And once you do that, honestly, then it becomes like very fun to do. And so I've done that, I've done this process that I've described as many, like, I don't know how many times now, like through for content pieces, for my own podcast, Everyone Heights Marketers, that is more than four years old, um, for my company now, like the program, Stand Up Fuck Out, every time. And it's so fun. Once you get through the first hurdle of trying a few times, it becomes easier and easier and you get experience doing it. And then honestly, it's not rocket science. The biggest mistake, and I would finish on that, is when you obsess over a group of people that is way too big, you can't achieve differentiation this way. That's not how it works. You've been listening to Real Marketers. If you love what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. And don't forget to tell a friend. All of this marketing goodness shouldn't be kept a secret.